Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Found out this Thursday here at Colts Training Camp in Westfield, then with one of our favorites from ESPN. He is the one and only Field Yates. Field, it's kind of crazy to sit here and think, here we are August 10th, one month from today. We will be fully entrenched, getting ready to be entrenched, I should say, with our first NFL Sunday of the regular season. I guess the juice is flowing just hearing that. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm just thinking about it already. I'm fired up. i got to start thinking about what I'm going to have for breakfast that morning so that I can carb a load for about 12 hours of football that day. That's my idea of a marathon. None of this 26.2 miles. We settle instead for, what, 13 football games in one glorious Sunday. Yeah, I, my marathon's consisting of carbs and, and, and football. That sounds like something I can yeah. certainly achieve. Um, all right, obviously the biggest storyline here of Colts training camp field surrounding number 28, and that would be Jonathan Taylor and his situation, whether it's health, whether it's contract. Um, what do you make of how this has played out in a very public manner? Yeah, first of all, like uh, I don't want to sound like a like maybe just like a fanboy, but it makes me a little bit sad, guys, because uh, not that it's ever a good situation when uh, an organization or at least the owner uh, and a player are at odds publicly, but uh, it certainly is a little bit different when it's you know, arguably the face of the franchise or at least on the short list of faces of the franchise. I mean, two years ago, we're talking about one of the most dynamic seasons from a running back over the past decade. I keep thinking about the hard knocks clip, uh, the in-season hard knocks, when Chris Ballard uh, talked about how this is one of the five best playmakers, regardless of position, on offense in the NFL. I think this was kind Mm -hmm. of in the construct of, like, are we going to eventually pay this guy, knowing that running backs are a bit trickier than wide receivers, uh, as we have talked about endlessly over the past month or so. And um, it's a bad look for, I would say, everybody. I don't know that I can necessarily uh, assign a, a certain percentage of blame Uh, to one side or the other. I would just say that it's so rare for teams to make family business public that generally speaking, I think it's just a bad look when uh, the team sort of uh, amplifies the chaos. So um, I don't, I don't know if Jim Irsay has regret, but I certainly would have some regrets about both the tweets and the on the record comments uh, about running backs and the way that they deserve to be paid right now, because I don't think it did a whole lot of good for himself, uh, for Chris Ballard, a first-year head coach, a rookie quarterback, a player in Jonathan Taylor who, by all accounts, and certainly you guys could tell me if I'm wrong or corroborate this, feels like exactly the kind of player that you want as a potential face of your franchise. Don't think you're wrong there. Field, a question for you. Do you think the – have you heard from any players or coaches around the league regarding this Jonathan Taylor situation? And if so, what have they said about it? Yeah, it's it's funny. You know, part of my job is uh, is going out and, like, seeking comments and opinion when things take place around the NFL – Um, And then there are times where it just comes right to you. And I heard probably the most from front office people right after everything went, I'd say the trade request slash some of the comments from Jim Irsay uh, became public and even the tweet. And the sentiment was, I tell you what, 
if this guy is actually plausibly tradable, the owner just did a real disservice to the general manager, made the job a lot harder. I'll tell you that much. Because, uh, you know, we always say, what's the most important thing in a trade? It's leverage, right? You want to have the leverage, and you're trying to find somebody who lacks the leverage or at least is willing to, you know, take some sort of uh, compens- or give you some sort of compensation that makes it worth your while. So I think that uh, with the Colts, like I'm, I'm not, you know, leverage, it does still exist in the sense that Jonathan Taylor is a really good player and a team might be desperate enough to trade a pick. But uh, the idea that this guy could be sold or could be traded at peak value, I think, went by the wayside uh, the minute that Jim Irsay opened his, uh, his, his mouth slash uh, the Twitter app or the X app right now. So how do you see this Jonathan Taylor situation playing out? You know, I have asked, and, it, it, there, and I always tell people that the, uh, the opinions of a few are not the opinions of the consensus. Um, I always think about that during the draft process when you hear from people that say, you know, this guy stinks or this, or this guy's the best, whatever it might be. Uh, I always tell people, though, that so, so I, I try to, like, stop short of saying that, like, a few people's opinion is definitely representative of what's going to happen. I have heard from people that have felt like there is a possible market for Jonathan Taylor in a trade, even if the Colts have made it clear they have no intention of executing such a trade. I just think that the reality is Indianapolis is going to have to make a decision is if the bottom line in this potential trade is maximizing compensation, you have to accept that that probably went out the window uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, If the bottom line is to get just anything in return, like something sufficient um, and sort of uh, turn the page on this, then it's plausible. I, I just, I still think push comes to shove. The most likely scenario is kind of what happened in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Uh, even if there is a trade request, even if you have the chance to survey the market, oftentimes the best scenario is just finding a way to patch the relationship back together. And the Colts can do that um, probably by paying Jonathan Taylor what he wants. You have to make a decision fundamentally if that's the best way to build your roster, given the fact that we've seen how teams have devalued the running back position. At the same time, if you feel like maybe the time to do that is when you have a running back who still has plenty of good football ahead and you've got a quarterback who is on a rookie contract, which does change the dynamics for your roster, maybe that's the way that this gets smoothed over and um, you can't let emotions dictate every decision, but it feels like until there's some sort of resolution with Jonathan Taylor, it almost feels like the rest of the franchise is in like a state of suspended time. Field, I, I don't want to spend the entire segment on Jonathan Taylor. And by the way, Field Yates is with us. Uh, obviously, you see him all over ESPN, Fantasy Focus. We'll, we'll chat a little fantasy football with him as well. But I trust your you know national brain so much on this that I, I want to ask what you think possible compensation would look like. Let's say there is a multiple-team market out there for Jonathan Taylor. We saw Christian McCaffrey, a second, a third, a fourth, and a future fifth last year. Again, he was under contract for several more years. He brings that third-down hybrid presence. So I know it's not apples to apples, but what do you think a potential trade package would look like for Jonathan Taylor? I don't know if this is because we've seen trades that have had conditions uh, executed uh, recently. Obviously, the Carson Wentz trade is one of them. We have the Aaron Rodgers trade. But that seems to be the consistent theme is that it's been all over the board. I've had teams that have told me, hey, listen, if I'm going to trade a guy and have to pay him $18 million a year, I've had people in front offices say, like, 
I'm not giving more than a fourth-round pick. You're paying double freight there, right? The draft pick plus the contract, and I'm not even sure the contract is the right way to go given the fact that running backs these days are so replaceable. I've had others that have told me, hey, if you want this guy bad enough uh, because you think he is the the -the over-the-top piece, the guy that can take you from good to great or great to elite, elite to the Super Bowl favorites, it's got to be something like a third-round pick with conditions. If this guy, uh, if if Jonathan Taylor rushes for 1,500 yards or Jonathan Taylor and the team that he gets traded to make it to the conference championship game, whatever the conditions are, maybe you're willing to boost things up to a second-round pick. I've not heard a first-round pick, which should be a surprise to absolutely nobody. And because I've asked the same question that you just presented about, like, how does the Christian McCaffrey trade factor into things? And the reality was that it's, uh, was a much more unique situation. We were in the middle of the season, so your your, your clock was a little shorter. Uh, beyond that, the 49ers did feel like um, when, in acquiring Christian McCaffrey, they were kind of getting him at a bit of a value because of the fact that for the, I believe it was three years remaining for CMC, maybe four years, uh, three and a half, I guess, based off of when he was traded last year, it was like a three and a half year for like $36, $37 million, which is probably different than what I think Jonathan Taylor would want right now over the next three to four years, right? He's probably looking for $15, $16 million per year to be paid as the highest paid running back uh, in the NFL. Um, I I, I think that the Colts um, probably need to be maybe fans more so than the team because they're they're aware of the landscape. Um, I think probably prepared for like less than what you might think when you, if you had, you know, three months ago in a bar mentioned the idea of trading Jonathan Taylor in, in a group of friends, like you'd be thinking, you know, full freight, I want the moon, right? I want a great young player and picks. Now I think the, uh, the landscape is decidedly different, both because of the nasty public nature of the situation and then also the fact that the running back market is just so, not exactly sure what the word is right now other than devalued, but you've got great players that are, for guys that have had great careers that are still available on the free agent market, in part because they're waiting for that big contract to come, and I'm not so sure it's anything close to inevitable. It's Kevin and Query on 93.5107.5 The Fan. ESPN Fields Yates joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline Field. I do want to switch a little over to fantasy football. we got leagues starting up. You do the fantasy focus as well. I have one more Jonathan Taylor question regarding that, though. Given his unknown status... I mean, he's pretty high up on draft boards, is he not? And uh, what should players, what should uh, players of fantasy football do when it comes to Jonathan Taylor as far as projections and drafting him? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so I actually uh, recently did an update to my rankings, and there was a time where I think I had Jonathan Taylor sixth or seventh overall, regardless of position. Um, he's now down to 19, and I mm-hmm. think what you have to do is be prepared for anything. Um, this has shades of where we've been with players in recent uh, off-seasons. Avion Bell uh, was one where the year that he ended up sitting out, uh, there was a time where people were thinking to themselves, all right, if I take him you know, first or second overall, I could be burning that pick on fire. But if he slides to pick 25, I could have you know the biggest steal in the history of fantasy football. And so if uh, you're drafting now and you, you get Jonathan Taylor at pick 19 or 22 or 25 or something like that, and fences are mended, or he gets traded somewhere and has a chance to be that lead back, which if I'm trading for Jonathan Taylor, I'm only doing so to make him my workhorse for at least 2023, then you might well have the steal of the draft. The hard part is I try to tell people frequently that in most cases, most, not all, but in most cases, 
the first round or two of your fantasy draft, it's hard to win the league because there are so many good players that go in that first two rounds, but it's easier to lose your league because if there are you know 17 or 18 of the top 20 picks that pay off and you grab one of the two or three that don't, you've set your roster back in a pretty significant way. All right, Field, last one. We can't thank you enough for the time here on this Thursday morning. And Field, you see him all over ESPN uh, and the Fantasy Focus. I am one of the worst fantasy football owners you will ever meet. My teams are horrific on an annual basis. I need two to three Field Yates-related core beliefs entering my upcoming draft. Oh, wow. First of all, we're going to change your luck. I got a feeling on that. My core beliefs are pretty simple here. Is One is like use your late round picks. Like call it rounds eight or nine and beyond. And just like always think about the players that if the best-case scenario hits – can win the league for you, right? Like, you know, a guy that you think has a real chance. I'm not trying to, uh, like, last year or a couple years ago when T.Y. Hilton was at, like, sort of the latter stages of his Colts career, you kind of knew what he represented, right? Like, the days of him being a top five or top eight receiver are probably gone. He could be a really serviceable serviceable player. Instead, you want to say to yourself, all right, I'm going to draft Alex Pierce in the 13th round because, well, I don't know exactly what he's going to look like in year two. Maybe he makes a leap and Anthony Richardson becomes, you know, this star quarterback in a hurry. So always swing for the fences in the later rounds. You know, if you're only doing one draft, I do think there is some comfort in having a running back on your roster early. And then, you know, last year this didn't necessarily pay off, but I do believe that uh, waiting for a quarterback can really pay some dividends. You know, you can draft a guy like Patrick Mahomes, 15th overall, and he'll be great. No two ways. But, you know, I think Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert are going to have great seasons as well. And Trevor Lawrence is going like 75th right now and on average in ESPN drafts. So uh, it's, it's value-based drafting is what we talk about all the time. So that would be a big one to keep in mind as you get ready for your draft here. Field, we appreciate the time as always. Thank you for joining us. We'll use those for our drafts coming up. Field Yates, uh, ESPN's Field Yates, joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. It's Kevin and Query out at Grand Park. We'll let you go. We'll talk to you Friday morning at 7 a.m.